Hey there and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Welcome back everyone to the Angel Investors Access podcast and vodcast show with your host, Brandon Burns. Today, I have a very special guest on the show. He's an entrepreneur. He's a founder, technologist, investor, and from what I've just learned, a Kiwi in Australia <laughs> is right. Navar Trusolo. How are you? Yeah, very good. How are you? I'm good. Am I saying that last name right? Yeah, Trusolo, that's the one. Talk yeah. to me about this French connection. Um, so it's a few. It's actually a very interesting story. A, f- a few generations back, yeah. moved from uh, French Guernsey, and two brothers came, and one went to Australia, one went to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I'm a part of the New Zealand branch of the French kind of connection. Very cool. And um, and then there's a whole branch over here in Australia. So Kiwis are much cooler than Aussies, I reckon. Yeah, you reckon. <laughs> Especially on the global stage, they seem to do really cool things. Yeah, that's right. Lord of the Rings. Oh, there you go, the mate. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Australian cast in that movie, but no, it's a joint true. effort. It's a, there's always a there's always an overlap. It's a it's a big family, really, Australia, New Zealand. So yeah, totally, absolutely. Yeah. So talk to me about obviously you've got mass experience in in crypto and in fintech and wealth tech. Yep. And I believe you've got a couple of businesses in market at play at the moment. Talking about them, what they do, and where you're currently up to with both of them. Yeah, so originally, we'll go back a couple of years. I started Navexa as a side project while I was working at my corporate gig. Yeah. And I was starting to getting into investing stocks and, and cryptos, and I wanted a way to kind of track my performance and be able to get valuable insights to, to make good decisions for myself. After a couple of years of working kind of hard nights and weekends, getting that up to a level that it could be used, um, I decided I was going to kind of leave my job and do that full time. Now, the problem at that point is I didn't have a lot of capital and I didn't want to get kind of any outside capital at that point. Yep. And as luck would have it, my brother in New Zealand came and pitched an idea to me to get into the personal finance space in New Zealand and really bring our combined skills, my technology skills and his sales skills to kind of disrupt the the personal finance brokering space there. So I saw that as a good opportunity. That business obviously had more potential to make money fast. Yeah. So I put Navexa on hold temporarily and went full in on, on, on that project. Yeah. And... Since then, that business has done extremely well. Like I, I wouldn't necessarily class it as a startup anymore because um, we we have several staff. It makes a very decent profit. Wow! And so you've experienced a bit of ten x growth there. Some real traction and oh yeah. Well, yeah. considering that business, because we had the skills to kind of do it with no money. Um, yeah. I seeded the capital of ten thousand dollars at the start, and wow. that, and that was all we needed. Wow, so it's, it's, it's self-sustaining just from that yes. little amount of investment. Yes, yeah, so... A bit of sweat equity. 
That's right. So even though it was $10,000 there, um, because I'm a software developer by trade, I was able to build out all of our systems, which would have cost uh, like $50,000 to $100,000 to wow. kind of get up and running. And my, my brother had all the experience of that industry, yeah. how to um, sell the products, how to... He had the relationships with our finance companies. So mm -hmm. it was a perfect marriage of our skills mm -hmm. and, and it's still fruiting today. So this is Leander Fintech. Yes, that's right. Just quickly for people listening and watching, how do you find out more about that business? Is there a URL we can share? Um, at the moment, we just have our LinkedIn page, which, um, <laughs> to be honest, I need to update it a bit. But <laughs> So who's the customer? Who uses this business right now? So that business... We're is a personal finance brokerage, so we deal with everyday New Zealanders looking to get finance for debt consolidations. They want to buy a car or a boat, or we do a bit of mortgage stuff as well. So how does it compare to um, a short-term instant loan that you see marketed like on TV? Like a payday lender? Yeah, yeah. Is it similar? No, it's not similar. So we don't deal with those small loans of like $500 or Okay. Or three hundred dollars that have interest rates of five hundred percent. We're dealing that sounds normal, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, for some people it is, but we're dealing more in, in loans much higher than that. Like with a debt consolidation, that's of amounts of like twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars, and and interest rates much under twenty percent. So, the goal of those kind of products is to get people into a better position when yes. they've got themselves into a bit of a pickle. Um, and so our customers of that business is just, um, we deal with everyone in New Zealand. Yeah. From people with extremely bad credit to people with um, kind of tier one characters who are wanting to buy a fancy car. <laughs> well, it sounds like a pretty high pain to solve, you know, a big yeah. problem and, and something that would drive people to really take action. So one thing I want to ask you quickly there is before we talk about your new business that you founded, Nevexa, with the Leander FinTech business now that it's grown, as you said, from startup to scale up and established business mode, what was it that you looked for during the uh, MVP, MVP phase and the testing elements that really gave you the indication that, yes, this business is working and resonating with the customer? Yeah, well, the, the story there is when, when my brother pitched me the idea, he said, if we can get 10 applications, he can guarantee settle one of them Mm -hmm. and we'll make a profit off that. So I said to him, look, I'll, I'll spin up a website tonight. We'll run some ads. If we can get 10 applications, then I'm all in. I'll, I'll do your business. So I quickly made a website, set up some Facebook ads and ran it. And then we, we both watched. He was in New Zealand. I was here in Melbourne. Yeah. And so suddenly the applications started coming in. And, and within an hour, we had like 20 apps. 20. So, wow. I sh so I shut it all down because obviously <laughs> we we were just doing an MVP. And yeah. I said, look, you, you need to quit your job too because mm -hmm. we can do it. And then kind of the first week we were in business, uh, he actually flew over from Christchurch and we ran the business in my apartment for the first couple of weeks. So from week one we were already profitable because mm -hmm. there was barely any cost to get it up and running. He had the skills to, to sell the products. I had the skills to do all the technology. Yep. And so it was, it was a very rapid success story for us, which mm -hmm. was just insane. Um, yeah. Neither of us, I think, 
we we knew it was a good idea, but we weren't expecting to kind of do this well so quickly. So given you're a technologist, you'd obviously have a, a high appreciation for UX and user experience and getting that right. But then you just told me that you slapped together a website in a night. So did it eventually evolve to a point where that user experience got refined to be better and better and better? Yes, so from that MVP to when we actually went live with a legitimate business would have been about one or two months. Mm -hmm. So that website was scrapped the next day, essentially, and then I spent the next month building a proper website with, um, as you say, the key, our key differentiator in that market is our um, customer service and application experience. So it has to be really good for our customers to come and apply has to be easy to fill out and then our team uh, based in Christchurch have to be the kind of the best, have to ring up people, have great conversations, really solve the, the customer's financial uh, pain point. Yeah. And that's where we've gone from nothing to kind of one of the big contenders in, in the New Zealand market mm-hmm. and deal with all the um, top uh, non-bank lenders in the country. So. Love it. I think it's really important what you mentioned there for founders listening and people looking to test and validate an idea. Don't be afraid to be imperfect. Take action. Launch your website of some description. Test with some Facebook ads. Mm. There's never been a better medium or tool to use to find out if there isn't actually an appetite for your product. And then you can refine and get it better and better. So kudos to you, man, because it sounds like you made the decision quickly. You took the courage to test. And from there, you were informed and you're able to grow it. <coughs> Love it. <coughs> Excuse me. So tell me about the evolution to the new business, Avanda. No, Nevexa, not Avanda, Nevexa. Leander, <laughs> right. Avanda, Nevexa. <laughs> That's right. So by that point, so after maybe six months of, of Leander Fintech doing really well, um, I was able to transfer some of the capital that I was earning from that and then use that capital to seed the funding of Nevexa. Yep. So Nevexa is still currently fully bootstrapped by myself mm-hmm. and it's been – I don't know how I would have done it if I hadn't have set up the other business first and that had done well mm-hmm. because as I've learnt with Nevexa, um, I've been working on that kind of full-time for one year now and this is a very different beast than the first business. <laughs> it's a much longer slow burn okay. so it's – it's much harder to get it to profitability. There was a lot of upfront costs that um, I wasn't aware of, which also gave me insight into why there wasn't much competition in this space. Gotcha. Um, and so I've been able to transfer that capital into this business and kind of now I'm, now I'm doing both at the same time, which, which has its challenges. Right. And you're not working for the man. That's always a good thing. No, it's been... Well, your brother, but, you know. Yeah, exactly. No, he's a, he's a pretty good man. But, yeah, it's been two years now since I left left the corporate world. And yep. um, I, w- I definitely wouldn't go back. And I, I actively make sure I don't have to go back to that. Yeah. While there was some amazing um, – I had some amazing times working in corporate. I was, I was at NAB and MLC Life Insurance as well. Yep. And had exposure to a lot of super smart people that I, that I would have never met otherwise. Mm. And you get to learn how big enterprises do things and I've taken lessons from that on how to do things and how not to do things. Yep. And I think that's really translated into my own businesses um, to be fast and nimble and not kind of get get bogged down as, as massive companies do. 
Yeah, perfect. So we touched on earlier that you've got a bit of an expertise when it comes to fintech, right, and crypto and the like. Now, you do a bit of investing, and from what I gather, you focus heavily on that crypto space and stocks. Yep. What I want to try and understand from you is what's holding you back from translating, considering investing in early-stage startups, angel investing in essence, and what can aspiring angel investors, similar to you, take from your advice around why they should get into early-stage investments? Well, investing for me has been a very fascinating field in all areas. And in fact, if I, if I could go back in time and tell myself when I was 18, you need to start investing now, mm-hmm. I would love to do that. Because as it was, I didn't get into investing until I was about, about 25 and I, even though that's that's still very early and a good age, yeah. Um, what fascinated me the most was some of the classic success stories, like Warren Buffett type characters who Did compound interest. Never yeah, hurt nobody. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> who's, who turn a small amount of money into what forty billion or whatever he's worth today. Yep. I think he still has a diet coke and a sandwich for lunch. That's it every day. <laughs> yeah, and buys his McDonald's and whatnot. Nothing fancy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Those kind of stories really inspired me at the beginning and mm-hmm. I thought I, I'm pretty sure I could learn some stuff and even if I replicate a small percentage of that success, I'd be doing pretty well. Yep. So from there I got quite heavily into stocks. Mm-hmm. So I learned all about value investing and um, buying stocks that are uh, selling for a discount and then waiting until they kind of get to value and then either, either selling them off then or, or holding for the long term. Mm-hmm. And then a few years back, around 2017, obviously, we had the massive Bitcoin spike in things, which, I mean, it piqued everyone's interest in, in what the heck cryptocurrencies were. Yep. Ethereum and, we, and all the different ones, yep. Yeah, and so while I, while I don't have huge positions in cryptos at the moment, it's a ever-evolving field that um, I have a lot of contacts who are kind of deep in that space mm-hmm. and... I get a lot of information from them on where things are heading. And while while the obvious big peaks of Bitcoin have dropped now, like there's there's so much potential for cryptos in the future. Like we have ASX use, using the um, blockchain technology soon for their, um, their trading systems. And there's all these applications behind the scenes of the blockchain that, um, that are just infiltrating everyday mm-hmm. life. So... I think cryptos are, are going to be quite big. And then as for angel investing, that is something I'd very much like to be involved in. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's a question of um, what I do with my capital. Yeah. And because I'm a founder, obviously, I prioritise the capital going into my own mm. own ventures. But as in the next couple of years, I'd definitely like to kind of start placing my capital at, at other startups because I personally know... Are quite a few people who want to do their own own business. Um, they don't have access to the capital or ev- or know how to access mm-hmm. capital. So there's always opportunity just within the personal network of mm-hmm. if I deploy even a small amount of capital here, ten grand for instance, mm. that could be enough to to create another Leander fintech, for example. Which totally, would, which I love would that. I love return. that analogy. So. You mentioned as a founder, you've been quite resilient in being able to bootstrap and not have to raise. Yep. I'd love to know from the founder's perspective, your thoughts on raising and when is the right time to do so? Like what are the things 
that come up as a flag that tell you, okay, I'm at a crossroads, now is when I need to consider raising or maybe I can hold on for a bit longer. Yep. And also, what is it, if anything, that would hold you back from considering early stage angel investing to your current uh, investments in stocks and that type of thing? So, two-part question. Maybe we go with the first part. So, yep. what, are the, what are the tells to know when to raise? I think, for me, I've got some ideas in my head of when I'd consider that. Now, it comes back to my investment approach in stocks. I like to invest in companies where the CEO has a large stake okay. in the company itself. Because that tells me that every decision they make not only benefits the company, but they're benefits benefiting them. themselves. And best example for the viewer and listener of that would be, um, is it Zuckerberg or not, not necessarily anymore? Yeah, some of those kind of characters like Elon Musk, for example, okay. huge personal investment into his, into yep. his businesses. So if they fail, he fails. Mm -hmm. And I like that approach. So that's translated into my own businesses as well. That if I can't, if I don't believe in my business enough that I'm going to throw a lot of my own personal investment into it, yep. I can't expect somebody else to want to fund it for me. Right. So where I'm at with that is I will go as long as I can funding it myself. But obviously it gets to a point if the business starts taking off, you're going to need extra people. You need this. As it is with Novexa, I, I get drowned in support tickets every couple of days. Yep. So there's all these kind of roles that you need people that I don't have the capital to hire up front. Mm -hmm. But it's at a point where I'm like, okay, this is making a profit. I know that with, with some outside investment, it'll make a profit for everyone. Mm -hmm. That kind of, for me, is the indication where I'd get funding in. Mm -hmm. if, if I can't make it a profit off my own money, mm -hmm. then I would feel bad trying to convince someone else to fund it gotcha. and put, put all their kind of capital on the line. Okay, cool. And with investing in stocks currently over early stage startup investments, you kind of answered this one already. Is the stock thing for you because there's a familiarity and expertise or is it more because you can liquidify quicker and easier? Yeah, so it's, it's both really. So I've... I've been investing in stocks for a few years now. I, I yeah. feel like I've got a bit of a handle on it. Yep. Um, the world of kind of angel investing seems to be very um, mysterious in some ways. Mm -hmm. a lot of, most people don't know much about it at all mm -hmm. other than these um, mysterious VC companies just give people cash. Yep, with so wings and angels and yep, yeah, that's unicorns right. and yep, they're all... Yep. <laughs> and, and so the other aspect of it is with stocks, you could invest um, a minimum of, say, like $500. Mm -hmm. and, and for a lot of people, that's what they want to do, put in a small amount, see how it goes. Um, I guess I, I view if I was going to be an angel investor and invest in a startup, I'd want to have a kind of decent amount of capital to put into that startup. Yep. So not only I actually help them with... I mean, ten grand's fine, but for a lot of businesses, ten grand is going to be a drop in the bucket to kind of get it off the ground. Yeah. So I'd like to be in a position where I have a, a bigger pool of capital that I could then actually give a startup what they needed, and it would actually buy me a, a chunk of the startup that um, returns value in the future for me as well. Okay, beautiful. 
Can you outline for me the biggest mistake or challenge you've had to overcome and how it's actually been a really good learning exercise in the process? I think the, the biggest mistake I've made was not leaving my corporate job early enough. Okay. A lot um, of people say that. Yeah. It's hard but when you're in the moment, isn't it? It is very hard in the moment. And you're a new dad and married, so, you know, there's responsibility. and Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I left the corporate world two years ago and, and hindsight's a great thing. But now looking back, I'm like, I could have left probably a couple of years earlier than that mm-hmm. and really got stuck in and I'd be much further ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have a lot more experience by now. <laughs> but I mean, as it is, I'm, I'm pretty happy with when I left. Mm-hmm. So as, it, as for it being a big mistake, it's uh, a pretty good, bad mistake. But yep. No, that's good. And a yeah. good learning experience. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given and by who? Oh, it's a good question. I think... Don't go to Australia. No. <laughs> well, yeah, well, luckily I never had anyone say that. <laughs> it might be a very different story today. But I think I like to be quite open to advice from, from everyone. And when somebody gives me advice, I'm a, I'm a very data-driven kind of numbers person. So if somebody gives me some advice, I like to refer back to the data. I like to really evaluate what it is. And if it can be backed up, particularly with numbers, then I can say, yeah, that's a good piece of advice. I'm going to mm-hmm. do it. If it can't be backed up, then it, it's still a learning opportunity that I've, I've at least crossed that off my list. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that advice. I've researched it. It's no good. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that no one's given me some Absolute garbage advice. Really? Yeah. If it heaps on this show, classic, you've got to have money to make money. Oh, um, yeah. Well, yeah, there's always pe- those kind of things. Yeah, a lot of our guests talk about bad advice also being to do with the timing. So there's advice that people have received along the journey that was really pertinent at a particular moment in time, but way less relevant at a different part on the journey or in time. Yeah, of so, course. So... Um, I think what you mentioned there was you've actually got a process in place for filtering almost advice. And that's, that is important sometimes because there can be advice overload um, and panic and anxiety can set in for a founder in particular and especially for an aspiring angel investor as well. Because mm. we talk to a lot of people on this show who are looking to become a serious angel investor but are really trying to overcome that divide around feeling like they know what they're doing. And they've probably invested in a, a couple of businesses through family and friends already. And they've had a play around the stock market. But they want to actually get better at making better decisions and hitting winners more frequently. Yep. And that takes a bit of education and also the point you mentioned around sort of demystifying the whole concept and process that is being an angel investor. Um, so what I'm keen to hear from you is let's let's do a little simulation right now. If you had... $50,000 in Monopoly money to play with mm. to put into uh, a startup, into stocks, into real estate or into an alternative form of investment, what would it be and why? I want to get an idea of your thought process right now because it'll show the opportunistic nature of an investor. That's a, that's a good one. So if I had $50,000 to invest in a startup right now, mm-hmm. it, a startup area I'm, I'm very interested in is actually ag tech, okay. so agriculture technology. Mm-hmm. And 
the reason why I, I grew up in the country in New Zealand, so mm-hmm. I've, I've been on a farm. Country uh, boy. Yeah, Very for cool. a long time. And I guess I like the idea of kind of the oldest job or industry in the world and the kind of newest with technology and fusing those two things together mm-hmm. to make some amazing things happen because as we know in, the, in this current world climate like uh, food supply is a huge mm-hmm. a huge concern with many people so farming's never going away how to produce more crops uh, raise more animals is a very kind of interesting mm-hmm. subject and I like the idea of one day being able to live on the farm while doing a technology startup <laughs> so it's kind of like a selfish angle in there dream job yep but I think um while I don't hear a lot about that in the media, mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing because it means that it's an up-and-coming area of investment. Mm-hmm. And I know there's uh, been some massive technology breakthroughs in farming over the years. Excellent. So we've got an ag tech startup. They've come across your desk. They're seeking investment. When you go to consider deploying that 50 grand into the investment, are you looking for something about or around the founder to stand out? Are you looking for something in the business plan or the forecast particular like are there are there some key things that you really want to know maybe you want to know where the money's going to be spent yep. what are you looking to sort of see that's going to convince you yes this is a sound opportunity well like like with investing in, in stocks as well it's very similar so it's really a combination of a lot of those areas mm-hmm. the founder i think is a very important mm-hmm. um I'd, I'd like to look at their experience have mm-hmm. they got experience in this industry um have they had kind of businesses in the past where they've um, succeeded or failed Mm -hmm. and really the attitude of the founder for me is going to be a big one Mm -hmm. because you don't want a founder who's going to get bored with the idea and kind of take the foot off the gas Mm -hmm. I want someone who's very passionate about the idea Mm -hmm. and they're they're going to kind of commit their life to it Mm -hmm. uh, to make it successful the other thing with the the business side is extremely important as well so like with my own uh, business with Leander Fintech, mm-hmm. I'd like to see that they have tried something quick and dirty up front. Mm-hmm. They've got some numbers to validate. Look, we've done this thing. It brings in X amount of whatever. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to translate into this profit. I think that for an early stage startup would be key for me. If, they, if, some, if it comes across my desk and they're like, yeah, we just think this is a good idea, and it's like, well, why do you think that? No, you know, it'll yeah. probably work. <laughs> yeah. Like that's too that's much of an assumption. Not, enough. not enough observation. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, those two things for me would be kind of the big, the big things I'd look at. And then obviously, there's nice to haves like, how many competitors are in that industry? Mm-hmm. Can they kind of build a moat around their idea? Um, mm-hmm. So it's a defendable position. Exactly. I like the use of the analogy of moat. That's a first for me. I love that. Yeah. Build a moat around your idea. That's right. There's, so there's the meme. There's the show promo right there. <laughs> so it's obviously that's um, easier said than done. But if that can be done, then I think that's a, a pretty solid business idea. Mm-hmm. And if I could get an early stage on something that had those characteristics, I think I'd be mm-hmm. very confident that it's going to, to do well. Beautiful. Well, Navar Trusalu, am I saying that right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. It's a tongue to Trusalu. There we go. I want to get it right. I, I, I'd love to hear your French accent at some stage too. It's like a Kiwi <laughs> <won't>, hybrid. <laughs> um, 
Anything else to add before we wrap up and share with people how they can get in touch with Nevexa? The, the website for Nevexa is nevexa.com.au mm-hmm. at the moment. So we're an online portfolio tracking service that our aim is to kind of grab all the data out there in this data-driven world, package it up for investors who are, who are in the stock market and cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and really give them the insights that they need to perform well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can definitely, I recommend you go there and sign up and give it a go. Yep. And if you want to contact me personally, I'm on, on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. My Excellent. two primary spots. So Beautiful. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's been, yeah. been a good experience. Let's check back in with Navarre part two in a couple of months and uh, hope to share the story soon. And uh, subscribe uh, to the show to hear more episodes. And thanks again. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.